You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we are back talking tax. We haven't done this for a while. It's been a few months since Carlo Bordy, my tax man, has been in the studio. But we've got a lot of questions that keep piling in about CGT and what if I own it first? What if I rent it first? The 12-month rule, all these things, we thought we'd get it on tape for perpetuity so that people can refer back to this over the years when people, including myself, forget the answer to these questions. So Carlo Bordy from Bordy Associates, thanks for coming back in again, mate. Tax can be interesting. It can be pretty nerdy sort of space. It can also be pretty dry. So I love how you make it as, as interesting as possible. We're talking about CGT specifically today. So capital gains tax and that capital gains tax, obviously, as an event occurs when you... Trent, thanks for having me. When you sell an investment, and that could be shares or property or rental property, then the tax man dips his finger and says, right, I want my cut of this. And the question that gets posed to me almost weekly is, oh, I've got a rental. How can I avoid paying any capital gains tax? And if I live in it for 12 months, can I get out of it? Let me just give a straight answer on that. I'm going to just explain how it works. There's basically two scenarios. And a person can either buy a rental property and physically rent it out, and then they move into the property themselves. Alternatively, you could have your own home that you've been living in for a number of years and for whatever reason, you decide to make that a rental property itself. So what happens with the second scenario, when it's been your own house, the commissioner doesn't really care how much you paid for the property when you first bought it. He just turned around and says, right, as of the date when the property is now available for rent, what's it worth? And he's asking this question once you've eventually sold the rental, right? So this could be... 10 years down the track, are you saying that he's going to get us to have to pay a valuer to tell us what it was worth 10 years ago? Exactly right. How yes. can they do that? That's Well, unless you get a valuation straight away, the, the next best scenario, and a lot of people don't like to spend the money at the beginning because they're saying, well, I worry about when I sell it. Yeah, I get nothing for this right now. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, get, I'll get no concession this. It is a cost that adds to the cost base of the property when you sell it. But, yeah, market value dictates uh, the selling value. So, And look, when you explain to a person, you say, look, you, you bought it 10, 20 years ago for 300000 It's now worth seven hundred. If you sell it for, for, uh, for $750, you only pay capital gains on fifty. then they come to the party because they understand the importance of it. Where it becomes unfortunate is when you have a, a market where um, you bought it for, for three hundred, and, and now it's worth 200 and then you sell it for two fifty. That's when you cop a sting in the tail because uh, you actually made a gain based on the market value having been so low. So therefore, in that first example, if you live in it first, market valuation is required. Compared to the second scenario where a, a person buys a rental property and they might think, oh, look, one day I want to live there and it's going to be my home. And I might, I might even knock the house down and build a new house. Carlo, for everyone listening, this is exactly the scenario I'm in. So I've purchased a property with my wife three years ago. We don't yet want to live in that area, uh, but we see our future being there. So in the meantime, we're renting it out. Maybe in three to five years, we'll decide to stop renting it out. We'll live there. We may knock it down and build another house. We may just live there in the meantime. 50 years down the track, if we sell this property, are we still going to have to pay a capital gain on it for the period of time we were renting it? Assuming the property increases in value from when you first bought it, the answer is yes. And what will that capital gain uh, be calculated uh, uh, against? The way that mechanic works is that the commission says, right, 
and I'll make up some figures. You bought this property for a million dollars. You've been renting it out, which no market valuation is required because it's first a rental. 10 years later, knock the house down. You build your own house and you live in it for 30 years. So you've basically had, say, 40 years. As a ratio, if you rented it out for 10, that then means that one quarter of the time, it would be your residential. So therefore, any growth on the value of the land, because obviously you knocked the house down and you built a new house, which is your residential, the value of the land would then attract your capital gains and uh, you get a discount of 75% because three quarters of the time it's been your residential, while only one quarter of the time that you've owned the whole property has been your uh, investment. Would you also get a further 50% discount because I owned it for more than 12 months? That would apply with this current legislation? Yes, most definitely. well, let's look at the figures then. So I bought a property for a million dollars. It's possibly, let's say that $800,000 is the land portion. In 40 years time, that $800,000 is now worth $3 million. So there's $2.2 million increase in value. However, only a quarter of that time I was renting it out. So that of that $2.2 million, we are talking about $550,000 that is accessible as investment growth. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, correct. And then I get a 50% discount on that 550. Yep. So it would now be 225,000. And at the date where I make the sale of that house that I've lived in for 40 years, whatever my taxable income is at the time, the bracket of tax that I'm in, I have to add $225,000 to that income at the time. That's the way it works, correct. Well, look, it's better than having to pay capital gains tax on the $2.2 million in land value appreciation, which would you would think obviously would be you know, catastrophically larger than 225 grand I'll be paying tax against. So if you think about 225 grand and my tax bracket is in the 30% range, maybe I'm paying $70,000 in tax against that whole uh, investment, right? It's true. When you, when you break it down to the dollars, it's more comforting but you still got to find out seventy five thousand, which yeah, and a lot of people still concerning. Have been prepared for that, right? they, they don't. If you don't understand the mechanics, I mean, it's one thing if you understand the mechanics of it, you're prepared for it. But for someone to turn around and say, "Oh, by the way, you owe this in ten weeks' time because you've got a gain here," it's not common knowledge. So you've spoken about that ratio. You've also spoken about getting a value to go back in time and do a valuation based on what it would have been ten or thirty years ago. Can we choose which way we go? Well, the ratio only applies in a scenario where you have first rented the property uh, compared to the market value calculation is only done when you first live in the property and you're stuck by those two scenarios. Depending on which scenario it is, governs the methodology that has to be adopted. Okay, so we can't choose. One scenario where you rent it first, you apply the ratio over time. If you've lived in it first, then you need to pay a value to go back and do a market valuation of the point in time when you turned it into a rental property. Yes. Compare that to what you've sold it for and there you go. Round two, Carlo, we're now talking about the situation we have where you rent the property out first and then you decide to live in it. There's a little piece of information here that most people are not aware of that could have a huge implication on your tax bill every year going forward once you move into that property to live in it after you've rented it out. Talk to us. The whole idea of this is that there's a capital gain associated with this property and what you can do you can actually reduce your capital gains costs or increase your cost base, depending on which way you want to say it, by keeping your receipts in relation to the property that you're now living in on any renovations you do to that property to improve it, repairs, council rates, water rates, not for consumption, but water rates in relation to water levies, insurance on those buildings. And then if you've got a loan on the rental property and you still continue that loan and it was fully deductible before, 
that interest can also be used as well as other costs for the period of time that you're living in it to reduce your capital gains calculation. This is huge. We've never spoken to this on the podcast. I didn't even know this was a factor until you spoke to me about this earlier. The property that I am currently renting out that I plan to move into in the next couple of years, into perpetuity, once I move into that house, all of my land rates, all of my interest expenses, my depreciation, maintenance on that property, going to the point in time where I eventually sell it in 30, 40 years time, continues to go towards assisting with reducing my capital gains tax by increasing my cost base. That's huge. On the proviso that you don't knock the house down, I mean, depreciation doesn't apply, but the, the specific categories are if you repair that property, if you do an extension on that property, the council rates, the water rates, the interest associated with the initial loan, which was for the investment property, yeah, those costs can all be then used to increase your cost base and to reduce your capital gain on the sale of that property and your tax implications, yeah. What if I refinance my loan? Does that change things? If you simply refinance that loan for the purpose of getting a better interest rate or something, the answer is no. If you restructure the loan, depending on what you, how you restructure it, it may have an implication. Like you might then say, right, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to now borrow some extra and I build my own house. Well, then you may be in a situation where a portion of the loan still retains its deductibility in relation to reducing your capital gain calculation, but it depends on how you do it. Carlo, given this piece of information, why wouldn't everyone looking to buy their future family home rent the house out for the first year to gain this deductibility loophole, I would say, for the rest of their ownership of that property? I suppose the answer to that is, ultimately, the only asset you're ever going to own completely as tax-free is your own house. Now, if you do rent it first, there's always going to be a component of capital gain, assuming that the property increased in value from the day that you bought it compared to the day when you sell it. So you're avoiding that. So in most instances, what people are doing is they're saying, wow, I'd like to live maybe in that better area one day. I can't really afford to live in it now and put a house on there. But if I buy a rental, it'll help me support the cash flow on it. And then maybe in 10 years time, I can sit back and say, right, I can afford it now. I'm going to knock the house down. And they've then upgraded without having to pay that extra cost of that land with increasing the value over this 10 years. So that's where, and, the, and unfortunately, the side effect is, or the implication is that there is going to be some sort of capital gain implication, but it's not, not as high. Well, that's right, because of this ability to allocate the future costs into perpetuity back towards the cost base. That's huge, Carl. I think that's one of the most insightful, interesting pieces of information we've ever heard on this podcast, especially interesting to me given I'm in that personal situation. Round three, Carlo. Now we're going to talk about a husband and wife who both seem to live in different houses. Maybe they work away from home. They only see each other every couple of days a week, whatever it is. Are they able to have two principal places of residence? The answer is yes, they can have two principal places of residence, but the unfortunate scenario is that the commissioner then looks at it and says, right, depending on ownership, the other spouse or the other party will have a capital gains implication if one property is sold. And let's give it a, a very easy example. And, and to simplify, let's say you buy two houses at the same time for whatever reason, you buy a whole home, you buy a, a new home, and, and one and, and the husband lives in Perth and the wife lives uh, in Margaret River, and that's where she wants to live and that's where he wants to live and they, they might meet up for the weekend every now and then, but that's their main residence, which means that to be your main residence, you've got to be on the lateral roll, you, you've got to have your personal effects there, you've got to be mail delivered there, gas and services tied 
that in there. And you can show, I'm, I'm living here. Mm. Well, the commissioner says, right, if you both own those properties, let's say 50 50, because that's what normally happens with, with husband and wife or spouse, if one of those properties is sold, then the person that lives in that house gets the exemption, while the other person who doesn't live in the house gets taxed as a capital gain as if it was an investment property, like a holiday home. So in other words, if the wife who's living in the holiday home in Margaret River, the husband says, I'm selling, I'm gonna come and join you, the wife is then up for capital gains on any potential profit that's been generated for the sale of that property. For their half. For her half, and if it's held obviously for 12 months or more, then she gets another 50% discount. Final one, I wanna talk again, we've spoken about this before in the podcast, but it's something that people continually ask me about. It's a six year exemption rule. For me, my understanding of it is essentially, if you live in a property as your owner-occupied property, you can then rent it out for six years before you come back to that property and live in it again for a certain period of time and not have it be deemed at any point in time as an investment on a tax base with regards to capital gains tax. Can you add more color to that? Is that correct? What's the, the detail around how often you can do this and how long you have to live there? Well, the mechanics of it is that there is a six-year period. But let's say, for example, that you don't move back in within a six-year period and you rent it out for eight years, then you simply get six-eighths of it as a discount if you mm. were to sell it, as long as you have not acquired another property which you're deeming to be your residential property because you can only apply an exemption on either one or the other. So that, that, does, uh, that does work. In relation to moving back, you've got to then demonstrate again that you have made it your house, that you know, you're, getting, you're on the electoral roll, that you've notified the police department of a change of address and water facilities and your gas and all that goes to you. And there is no set criteria. You simply have to establish it as your, as your abode again. And, and apart from this six-year exemption, there's only one other legislation that gives you a bit of latitude, and that's if you, if you buy a block of land and you don't have a house that you're living in, so you're renting somewhere, you bought this block of land, you've actually got four years to make it your dwelling. Now, to be a dwelling, you've actually got to have either a house or a cottage on there, an apartment or a flat, or even technically a caravan. I mean, you might have a person who they got uh, two acres and they're building their house and they, they park their caravan on that lot to, to, to live there until the thing is finished. Well, then technically, as long as you, you live there within the four-year period, you're ticking the commissioner's box. Mm. I think that's fascinating. It just shows how complex the ATO is getting these days. They're generally looking to skin as much money as they can out of us, but there's a few ways here where I think people will be surprised where they may have some, some leeway. There may be some wins if you play your cards right in terms of planning. A few of my clients specifically do undertake their development strategy around trying to maximize their owner-occupied status and minimize some tax. And look, it doesn't work for everyone because we've all got lives to live. But if you can understand some of these rulings, it may work in your your favour one day. Look, and I suppose the whole idea of these of these podcasts is to, just to make people aware that if you have the information at the beginning, then you can decide whether you want to go to the effort of keeping these receipts. And if you do, this is how it works. And uh, you get the people who dot the I's and cross the T's and scam and, and take copies of them, etc. And they maximise on it. And there's some people who say, ah, I don't care. And that's, that's it's an option then that exists. Carlo Bordy, as always, love the tax nerd side of the world. Really appreciate you coming in. It's more vital information for people making their decisions when buying a property at the moment. Guys, fun fact for everyone out there, we've just dropped below 8,000 properties on the market for the first time in a year. It's pretty much a record how low we are in terms of stock out there. We're still transacting at 1,000 transactions a week. This podcast now has 300% more people listening from the Sydney and Melbourne markets than a year ago, which gives shows and lines up with the communication I'm getting from our sales agents out there that are getting about 30% of their sales 
coming now through Sydney and Melbourne market. So uh, for everyone out there listening, whether you're from the East Coast or from Perth, thanks for listening along. This market has got a long way to go and I really appreciate everyone participating. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!